Father, we come thankfully, we come humbly and recognizing that you have established your Son, Jesus Christ, as the head of the church. Father, we um, would ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, allow us to submit to his headship, his leadership, his word, his care for us. That we would submit to what it means that He died and rose again. That by His Spirit we're given new life. And that by His Spirit we can approach You according to Your Word. And we can seek Your heart through Your Word. And so, Father, I pray now that as we come before Your truth, that that You would reveal Yourself and that we would... Uh, Seek your presence, seek your heart, and that you would bestow upon us your awesome your abundant grace that is ever full and that you continue to provide, that you make new. God, I pray that Lord this time would um, not be wasted. And therefore, we would not seek uh, to come to know you by our own strength. But instead, we would recognize our weaknesses, our need for the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would be gracious in granting us that, pouring your Spirit upon us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we're in 1 Samuel 8. And just a brief recap, when we were in... 1 Samuel chapter 7, what we saw is really the glory, uh, glory years of the nation of Israel. It was many years of faithfulness. It was many years of following God's word. It was many years of strong leadership from the person of Samuel. And it resulted in years of blessing for the nation of Israel. It resulted in... Uh, God's favor upon them, and it resulted in a in continuing to worship, uh, not um, not other gods, not other humans, but instead the God of the universe. But what we see today, as we come to First Samuel eight, we see um, we're in a, a, a somewhat of a different time. Samuel has gotten older. We're going to be introduced to his sons and that they are not sons that have walked in the ways of Samuel. So somewhat of a a recurrence of the sons of Eli that we saw earlier in the book of 1 Samuel. And so we're going going to see what this means for Israel and how they respond to the situation that they are now in. And so we're going to read, I'm going to read through the whole chapter. But keep this in mind that as we read this, that when the Lord is your king, you are the servant of a giver rather than a taker. When the Lord is your king, you are a servant of a giver rather than a taker. We're going to walk through a few points in regards to that. But follow along with me as I start in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. 
They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over you. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice voice of Samuel. And they said, no. But there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. This is God's word. The first thing I want us to see as we look at the um, statement, if the Lord is your king, you're the servant of a giver rather than a taker, is to look at this sinful approach of Israel. This is a very familiar part of the Bible. Even if you have not read through this section of Scripture, it's a familiar part that may need clarification of a time when Israel is calling for for a king. And here's why it may need clarification. Back in Deuteronomy... We see in God's law that God made a provision for Israel, for his people, to one day have a king after they have reached the promised land. And this is all to say that Deuteronomy tells us that it was not necessarily sinful for them to desire even acquire a king. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 17, and this is verses 14 and 15. It says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, And then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Verse 15 says, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. So as a matter of fact, as we look at this, there is a lot of, and as we look at this story, there's a lot of of sense in the people of Israel at this time. 
here they see what's probably, probably going to happen as a result of Samuel's sons not walking in the ways of Samuel. They, they could possibly even see a recurrence of the state of their nation when they were under uh, the leadership of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, these corrupt priests. And they see corruption coming up through the ranks of the leadership of Israel. And so we look at this and we very well may see ourselves in this position and thinking the same thing. We need to go in a new direction. We need a change. We need something different. And we would probably agree with their thoughts. However, their desire for a king in and of itself is not necessarily the problem. Their problem was in their approach. For as I just read in Deuteronomy seventeen fifteen, God says, This king is one whom the Lord your God will choose. But what we are seeing here, if we were to flip over the pages and go back to 1 Samuel 4, we are seeing an approach... For the, from the nation of Israel, just like they had in 1 Samuel 4 when they faced the Philistines. They were using their own wisdom. They were uh, trying to put together their, the schemes from uh, their own uh, insights and thoughts, not seeking the Lord, but looking to move ahead, not praying. We see no reference of them uh, seeking the Lord in prayer as a nation. We see no reference to them even asking for Samuel's counsel in seeking a king. Instead, they are just demanding and they have decided on their own that they want a king at this particular time. We hear nothing of them looking for God's counsel, direction, and wisdom. They want to be like the other nations... And they want a king on their very own terms. This is what we are seeing here. And this is where their sin lies. Their sin is not lying in a desire for a stronger government. Their sin is not lying in a desire to even have a strong nation led by a strong, capable leader. The Bible is very clear that God makes provisions for leaders and authorities. For governments that follow His way and His rule. And he uses these leaders that others can look to and leaders that he can work through in order to communicate with the people and to carry out his purposes. But their sin, so their sin is not lying in that. Their sin lies in the fact that they want it their way. And they want, and their way is to have a human king that would replace Yahweh, the God of Israel. They want a human king that would replace someone like Samuel who is hearing from the Lord who governs the nation according to God's Word. They are not interested in someone that would replace Samuel that would seek God for his direction and his answers. So this, what we are seeing here is the, the people of Israel, we have gotten to this point after their glory days, glory years, we have gotten to the point where Israel is now rejecting God. Not because... They're not rejecting him because they want a leader. They're rejecting him because they desire a leader that would replace God. And the king that God would choose for Israel is a king that would share his heart. The, the king that God would choose for Israel is a king that would hear his voice and would rule as he would rule, who would speak as he would speak. But Israel wants a king that has his very own voice, that would serve their immediate interests their immediate desires that would appeal to their heart as it is instead of a king 
that would lead them according to the purposes of God. Now with the combination of the state of the world in which we live in, in which they lived in then, along with our human nature, the human heart as it is, as we are born with it. There are times, and you may be experiencing these times right now, that we desire change, that we want something different, that we long for something better, that we need something to go in a new direction. We may, and, and this can happen almost immediately. We may love something one week, and then beg for deliverance from it the next. could even happen in a day. And this is what Israel is going through. They have just gone through this 20-year span, thriving as a nation under Samuel, but now they are anxious, they are restless, and they need something new. They need change. And as we identify with this need for change, as we can relate to this, as we can try to put ourselves in their shoes... Or if we can take where we are right now and consider how they are feeling, we can understand this need for change. We can understand how they would want to seek something different. But this is also to show us that God often puts us in places. He often gives us circumstances or allows our environment to be one in which we long to seek something better greater. We desire redemption. And that's not the sinful approach. Or that's not, that's not the issue of sin. However, the sinful approach, the one that we are seeing here and the one that we often fall into is when we are impatient or when we're impulsive and when we move ahead without prayer or when we move ahead without seeking counsel. And when we do that, our life communicates a pursuit of something or a pursuit of a life that is above God. We are pursuing a life that, gets, that rises above Him, that allows decisions to go above Him, rise above His authority. But when we dare not move forward without seeking Him, and when we dare not move forward without pursuing His means of grace, there are certain things that will happen. And there are certain principles that the Bible plays for us and gives us and allows us to see through the story of Scripture. He often works in different ways, but this is what we typically see. One, when we dare not move forward without seeking the Lord, when we dare not move forward without pursuing His grace, pursuing His guidance, one, He may grant us our original desire. We may realize that He's placed that desire in our heart for us to pursue Him and allow Him to lead us to that desire, and then He may grant it. Also, He very well may do the exact opposite of what we want. If we dare not move forward, dare not move ahead without pursuing Him, the means of grace, counsel from godly people, he very well may do the exact opposite of what we want, albeit while revealing His handiwork, while revealing His goodness, while granting His presence to us for us to walk through what sometimes may be a very big disappointment in our life. But it ends up being a way in which He teaches us and shows us His will, His purposes, His grace. 
And then thirdly, this is also a way that he will choose to work when we dare not move ahead without his guidance, without seeking him, is that he will lead us in a direction that never, ever crossed our minds. That we have something on our hearts, that we have a vision in place, or we have uh, somewhere that we want to be, and he will completely lead us in a direction that we never dreamed could happen. And this is actually the most likely thing. Because this reveals that His wisdom is often a secret wisdom. That His wisdom is above our wisdom. That His providence is one um, that we can often, we are often not allowed to see until it comes to fruition. Now here's what we can often misunderstand when we're seeking the Lord's direction or His guidance. And I know that I have been here and I hear this a lot. And I've been in this, I've had this sense and this feeling often when, I, when, when you, when I'm pursuing the Lord's direction, when I'm asking, when I'm telling Him, God, I don't want to move forward without you. I don't want this to be my decision and not yours. And I'm seeking His help and I'm seeking His wisdom and His will. We often feel this way, that, well, but we don't hear anything. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're seeking others, and we still don't have any certain sense of where He's leading us. We don't have any sure knowledge of what He's doing. And then we get to this place of having this feeling of a pointless pursuit of God's will. Praying and praying. Nothing. Or we're begging for deliverance. Lord, please deliver me from this. Please get me out of this. And we hear nothing. Pointless pursuit of God's will. But primarily, this is what happens. And this is, and many of you have experienced this and even shared something to this effect, even with me, that we are in that position of seeking the Lord. We're in this position of longing not to move forward without Him leading us. And we feel like it's a pointless pursuit of His will. And then months later, or years later, we look back and we see, wow, God placed me in the center of His will. And at the time, I had no idea what He was doing. I had no clue. I've heard Tim Keller put it this way. He has said, guidance from God is often not something that He gives. It's often something that He does. And oftentimes when we look back, we see God has given us that guidance by doing it. By placing us where we should be. A quick example of this, and I didn't ask permission, but I'm going to still use their example. The Towery family came here a little over a year ago. And I know from hearing their story that they sought the Lord. They wanted God to show them. Where am I supposed to? Where are we supposed to be? What are you doing with our family? Where are we supposed to go? Now I haven't asked him this, but I'm almost sure that he did not say, "We want you to end up in Central Alabama." They were in Kentucky. We want you to end up in Central Alabama. Uh, I'm hoping that you will be um, in Columbiana if you follow my will, and then we're going to lead you to this church in Clanton. And when you get there, it'll look like nobody goes to that church. But just go on inside. Just, just walk on in. Okay? 
Now, God probably didn't do that. But as the Tauris look back, they're able to see that God has God placed us. We sought him. We had no idea what he was going to do. We never expected this, but he placed us here. And they look back and they see what God has done through their through their seeking the power and communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. With that said, here is what's to be warned about. And this is what Samuel warns Israel of, especially in verses 10 through 18. That if we pursue what we think is right without seeking to align our hearts with the heart of God, without seeking to align what we are longing for with what God is longing for for us, then he often gives us exactly what we want, yet without his blessing. Yet without it aligning with his perfect providence for our life. And this is what we see going on in the life of Israel. And this leads us to our second point, when God is not your king. And this is what Samuel is warning Israel about. That this is what it's going to look like when God is not your king. When you are seeking a king to replace God, and when this king is not going to get you to ultimately look to your king. This is what is described, as I mentioned, in verses 10 through 18. And Samuel warns them. He says, your sons will be taken. Your daughters will be taken. Your land will be taken. Your possessions will be taken. Your personhood will be taken. You will be made slaves. And when you get to that point, you will say, what have I done? You will cry out, what have I done? Why did I go in this direction? Now, here's a major issue with the human heart. And this is how God is able to act. This is how he is able to present this truth in Scripture accurately to the nation of Israel. And this is how we are able to see this play out. When we consider the human heart and the problem therein, when a person finds out that another person will give their life to them, if a person finds out that you will give their, your life for them, the natural human heart of that person will then begin to exploit you will begin to take advantage of you, manipulate you, use you, abuse you. And and then you and I, keep this in mind, we're not just speaking about others. And then you and I, without the Spirit of Christ, will fall into that same thing. If we sense that we have gained some sort of control over another person, we will look to them becoming a slave to what we long for. We will look to them to carry out our will and our purposes, not considering them, but considering our desires. And some of you, if not, probably most of you have experienced this from one, uh, one degree to another in your life. Some of you have probably experienced the abuse of someone who has figured out that you cared so deeply or you longed for their approval so much or you desired them They figured out that you desired to be in their life so much that they then turned that into a way to control you, take advantage of you, exploit you. I've known of people, and this is such a common pattern, that they have figured out that their only 
ability to control or they believe that their only ability to control is to hurt others. They see that when they're able to hurt others, that they're able to actually, that gives them a sense of control. And they pursue it. Sometimes subconsciously, but they pursue hurting others because it gives them a sense of control. And this is the problem with the human heart. Any kingdom of this world, any mere human leader, any organization that does not look to God for their leadership and that does not look to God for His provision for them, they will take and take and take from you. And they will then they will seek how to get more. And then they will seek what else there is to offer, ultimately seeking to enslave you. And this is how God is able to share with Samuel, this is what's going to happen if you seek a king that is not the king that I've chosen for you. This is what's going to happen. He's going to take and take and take, and then he's going to take some more, and then he's going to seek out how to enslave you as a people. And this is what it will look like when God is not your king. So a couple of points here as we... Uh, get into this and see how this applies to us because it may seem as if I'm overdoing it with this, um, these specific references, but this is simply the warning that we're given in Scripture of what it is when we seek something besides God to be our king. Now, a couple of points to mention. We are all longing for someone to save the day. It's in us to long for someone to save the day or either to long for ourselves to save the day, to be the Redeemer. We're looking for the Redeemer, the hero. And we ultimately seek that. Naturally, this is what we're going to do. We're going to seek that outside of the Lord. And we fall into the trap that Samuel warned us about. So this... We can take this right here and apply it to our lives to see that we are looking for a king. And this comes in all different forms. Many of us are looking for salvation in our spouse. Some of us are looking for salvation from government leaders. We are thinking the next president, this is what we need. The next, if we can get this person in the presidency, he will save the day. We are looking for these things. We are looking for a king. And if we are not careful, we will, we will pursue this without pursuing God. Secondly, when considering this thought, we are called to, by God's Spirit and by His power, to consider others more important than ourselves and to deal with others with love and compassion, not self-seeking. And so not only do we long to treasure someone that will save the day, but also... We long to be someone's treasure. We long for someone to look at us like we're the hero. We long to be revered. We long to be truly treasured and cherished. In order, and so to, with that in mind, in order to truly love, we are called to introduce people to Christ. Why did God make provision for a king that he would choose because he's making provision for a leader that would point them to him because he is making provision for a king that would show them the true king that would communicate the true king's words to them that would reveal to them the perfect love and the perfect grace that can only come through the true God and creator 
And this leads us to what, what this means when we pursue God as our king. It means that we are welcomed into and we enter into a kingdom of plenty. Now here's what this time of Israel's history tells us. That God is about to give Israel what they desire. And as we look through the rest of the book of 1 Samuel, we are going to see them under the kingship of Saul. The one whom the people chose. The one that was not chosen because of his heart that aligned with the heart of God. It was a king of their own choosing. And it will be God's way of teaching them, the people of Israel, of the shortcomings and of the misery of serving within a kingdom of this world. Of serving a king that is not God. And therefore, a period of Israel's history, and we're going to see this. That this period of Israel's history is going to be a pattern of tragedy, of disappointment, of uh, misery, and yet also... It is, the lay, it is a laying of the foundation for God's unbelievable grace to be on display. It is laying the foundation for Him to step in and lead His people through this time of tragedy and disappointment and misery. To lead His people through a time of having a king that does not truly love Him. And lead them to a king of His choosing. A man after His own heart that will seek God on Israel's behalf and lead Israel to their finest years as a nation. Not because they have chosen finally, they have come to their senses and chosen the right king, but because God in His grace will give them a leader that understands that God's kingdom is a kingdom of plenty and that His help comes from the Lord and that God is His strength and His provision. And this kingdom of Israel that is shown to us in the book of 2 Samuel is a glimpse under the kingship of David, who's not a perfect man, as we know, not a perfect king, but it is a glimpse. It's a picture of the kingdom of God that finds Christ as its ruler. It finds our Lord, the King of David, the King of kings, Lord of lords. And this king is a giver. Instead of taking and taking and taking, he gives life. He gives hope. He gives fellowship. He gives his spirit. He provides truth and kindness and patience and forgiveness. And even the things that we have that we long to give to him, as we long to give to him, that is a gift that is given to us by him. And it's because he lacks nothing. It's a kingdom of plenty. It's a king that has it all. This king is a giver and his kingdom is full. And there's, therefore our service to him is really a gift from him. A human king needs 10, 10% or, 20, or 100% from us, from you, because he needs you to supply his kingdom. And without you, his kingdom would collapse. But if you seek your needs and if you seek your desires from anywhere but the Lord, you will be dependent on people. You will be dependent on people to live, and without them, you would collapse. But what if your help comes from the Lord who lacks nothing? What if your strength and your provision comes from the Lord who lacks nothing? What if God is your king, 
And He does not need to abuse you or use you or manipulate you or enslave you. But instead, what if He has everything and therefore He can give you freedom? And what if we serve a king that when He calls us to give and to sacrifice, it is because He is calling us to recognize that it's all His and that He shares it with His people. What we also see in this chapter, in chapter 8, after they have been warned, verse 19 says that they responded to Samuel by saying, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Israel wanted a king that would judge them, go before them and fight their battles. And hear this, this is exactly what God gives us in Christ. This is exactly the king that God gives us in Christ. Jesus has judged us, and he has found us completely deserving, not of his love, but of God's judgment and of God's wrath. So he judges us. He finds us completely undeserving, but He goes out before us. He went out before us, and He took the punishment. And by taking on our sin, He has defeated death and sin. And, through, and this, has been, this has happened through His own death and through His resurrection. And so when He is your King, you join Him in His kingdom. And this is a kingdom that is not of this world. It is a kingdom, not of want. It's not a kingdom that's lacking. It's a kingdom of plenty where the king is a giver. The king is kind, gracious. The king is considering us more important than himself. And therefore he goes to the cross willingly, giving up his life so that we may have life. I want to end here with, this is a quote from John Owen who was a pastor um, centuries ago, Puritan pastor. And this is what he says. This is what he said. When a wise, kind, loving parent who has made every effort to educate his child and who has high hopes for the future of that child finds that the child is lazy and enjoys bad company, how grieved that parent will be. But the heart of the Spirit of God is infinitely more loving and caring toward believers than any person can be to an only child. And when at great cost and with great care He has nourished and brought us up as God's adopted children, worked hard to conform us to the image of God, and then finds His work torn down and allowed to wither and fall to pieces, how grieved He must be. And how provoked he must be to turn against us and then be our enemy. But yet, in his grace and mercy, he does his sad work of convicting us of our sin and ingratitude. He does the hard work of bringing home to our hearts many fears and terrors so that we will return to him with godly sorrow and wholehearted repentance so that he can begin again. This is a faithful God. This is a God...
that is patient with us and that is kind and that, it, and that continues to pursue us over and over again. As we grieve the Spirit, He comes back to begin again and again, showing His grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that, Lord, even as we see an example of an unfaithful nation that is that is clear it's a nation that is clearly your people that has been shown your favor and grace your power and authority over and over again has been shown your faithfulness over and over again even when we see this example of their unfaithfulness of their rebellion of their human hearts that are fallen. What we see that is even more powerful is your grace and your kindness, your patience to walk with your people and to carry us through our own bad decisions, our own pride and selfishness, and to bring us again to your Son and to your grace. Father, I pray that we would be reminded of the gospel. That our Savior, our King, has gone before us. Not when He found us worthy of love. Not when He found us worthy of being adopted. But instead, when He saw that we were hopeless. Thank You for sending us a King that would go before us and fight the battle for us. And through His death and resurrection would give us life and freedom and reconciliation with you. We pray all this in His great and strong name. Amen.